Listener supported. WNYC Studios. All right, Rachel, do I have you? Yes, you do. Okay. So I was on the phone with this scientist recently. Uh, my name is Rachel Hers, pronounced like his and hers. Rachel's a professor at Brown University. She wrote a book called The Scent of Desire. She's an expert in what she says is the psychological science of scent. And she was telling me a story about this time a door-to-door salesman came to her house when she was just a little kid. Um, when we first moved to Montreal, and I was seven, and um, there was this strange bath gel that my mother bought it for herself, but she never used it. So one day, Rachel went into her mom's bathroom, grabbed the gel, and used it for her own bath. And I really, really found the scent to be just kind of overwhelmingly wonderful. Kind of menthol, blue spruce, piney, watery, and it was called... Actually, can you hold on a second? Sure. Okay, hold on a second. Uh, While Rachel goes and grabs a bottle of this stuff, let me just finish the story for you quickly. Rachel searched for decades for this bath gel, but she couldn't find it. And then almost 40 years later, she was just in a shop somewhere, and there it was. Yes, it's called Algemarine. And I don't actually even use it. I just kind of sniff it from time to time because it's, like, so precious. I don't know if I'll ever find it again. Um, Let me smell it again. It's, like, the best smell in the world to me. And it totally brings back, like, being in the bath. It's, like, this unctuous, full-body sensation. So you feel like you have jumped back in time and embodied seven-year-old Rachel for just, just for an instant? Yes. It's taking me to the bathroom and to being in the bath, but it's really just like being there. It's sort of like feeling seven or eight and feeling that really strong pleasure that that scent gave me. This, my friends, is what we call the Proustian phenomenon. Now, maybe you've, you've heard this story, but the, the novelist Marcel Proust wrote about dipping a Madeleine cookie into a cup of linden tea smelling the aroma, and then being flooded by the emotion of a long-lost childhood memory. And we've all experienced some version of this, maybe a a whiff of an old boyfriend's cologne or a hand soap from your grandmother's house. But for decades, scientists have been trying to put some science to this. And they've learned that, yes, smell-induced memories are highly emotional and often tied to very specific moments. About 15 years ago, Rachel Hers and a colleague set out to look at this phenomenon and were trying to come up with some really effective scent triggers. And here's where this gets interesting. Because Rachel needed a list of things, smelly things, that an average American probably would have known as a child and had fond memories of, but that they kind of left behind as they grew up. She came up with a list of five name brand items. Yes. Um, so there was Coppertone Suntan Lotion, mm-hmm. Johnson Johnson Baby Powder, Play-Doh, I think my first memory of Play-Doh, unfortunately, is uh, eating Play-Doh, which prob- that's probably <laughs> true for a lot of kids. that as well. Yeah. I think my brother ate Play-Doh, but I never did. But anyway, sorry. Crayola crayons and Vicks VapoRub. I just love, this list is so wonderful. It's like, <laughs> if I have all of these things in a chest somewhere, like a little secret time machine that I can open up five different I- ways. I bet you would. I mean, I would love for you to try Play-Doh. Maybe you would be something different, or maybe you just get this overall... You know, you want to go eat something feeling. (laughs) (laughs) This is Only Human. I'm Kenny Malone, and uh, I I did go out and get some Play-Doh. Yeah, it's preschool. There's a sandbox. It's very possible I ate the sand as well. At any rate, it's not like that's a bad memory. 
But these things, they, they could also be like little memory time bombs. When you open Play-Doh or Copper Tone or a jar of Vicks Vaporub, you have no control over what memory punches you in the gut. What if it's something you've been trying not to think about for decades? Today we have a story about that very idea, about a grandmother and a granddaughter and the very strange way a jar of Vicks Vaporub changed their relationship. So this is the place where where normally we would have like a warning about adult content or language. But I think in this case, what we should say is we reached out to Vicks Vaporub for this story. It's owned by Procter & Gamble now. And the big message from them is only use Vicks Vaporub as directed. In other words, you should probably not do most of what we are about to talk about today. So that said, I want to start by just playing you the moment that sort of set this story into motion. I want you to open this, smell it. And tell me the first thing that comes in your mind. Okay. This is our reporter, Julia Longoria, opening a jar of Vicks Vaporub. I really, it's it's her house in the spare room in my grandma's house. Are you crying? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's the Vicks? Yeah. So one of my earliest memories was being dropped off at my grandma's house for two weeks while my parents were away. And I remember I got a pretty nasty flu, and it was the first time being sick away from my parents. Julia remembered sleeping in the guest room, in walks grandma with a jar of Vicks Vaporub, and she just starts slathering it on like she's frosting a cake. On my chest, on my, like right below my nose, and inside my nostrils. And I remember I was like get that away from me. This is terrible. It burns. Like, this is not making things better. And she'd be like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. At the first sign of illness for Julia or for her sister Paula, grandma would grab the Vicks. I mean, we just, it was an ongoing thing where like anytime any of the cousins got sick, they were like, don't tell grandma because she's going to put that all over you. When my sister would get sick, grandma would come at her with the Vicks. And I remember being like, don't, you don't need to do that. <laughs> Jumping in front of her. Get I'll, that I'll away from the, her. <laughs> I'll take the Vicks for you, Paula. My grandma just turned 80, but I'd be willing to bet my grandma's 80 is not the 80 you're thinking. This is a woman who in one year underwent knee replacement surgery and took trips to China, New York City, and Paris. The woman defies expectation. One minute, she's designing high-fashion dresses. The next, she's starting spitball fights at dinner. Irreverent, intelligent, it's like every week she's telling us about a different novel she's reading. In English, her non-native tongue. All of this is to say my grandmother is no fool. That's why I can't wrap my head around how or why the woman I've just described worships a little blue jar of eucalyptus jelly. Of course, as a little kid, there was no reason to think Grandma's love affair with Vix was unusual. But in hindsight, there were some pretty obvious clues. There was a time I remember walking into her bedroom and seeing four, five, maybe even six jars strewn on her vanity. There's the fact that Grandma doesn't actually call Vix Vix. She only talks about her beloved Vicicito. She adds the Ito as a mini love letter to the stuff. And then, maybe strangest of all, was that when she would stay at our house and take a shower, the bathroom would always reek of Vicks Vaporub afterwards. 
whether or not she was sick. Now that I'm older, it occurs to me that actually I have a lot of questions about Grandma and her Vikisito. So I sent an audio recorder to my sister Paula, who was with our grandma, and I called. Nobody pick up the phone! Just a few things to know before you hear this. Number one, my grandma is from Cuba, so I'm going to kind of translate for her as she speaks in Spanglish. Number two, she's got a little bit of a low voice. And number three, before I could even ask her why she loves Vic so much, she said something that sent the conversation totally off the rails. Hello? Grandma? Yeah, this is Karma. Julia. Hi. <laughs> um, okay, yo quería hablar contigo um, sobre Vicisito. Oh, Vicisito. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every time that you have like a sore throat or feel like you are coughing, yo decía, no, no, si tienen todo que darle viquisito. Es bueno para todo. Es bueno para todo. Right there. Viquisito es bueno para todo. Vix is good for everything. So I'm like, wait, what do you mean everything? Para el pecho es lo mejor. So first she's like, you could put it on your chest because it'll help with your cough. That makes sense. That's on the label. Then she's like, you can use it on your knee if you have a sore knee. And that one's also on the label. But then... Things start getting weird. For fungus? She says Vicks on your toenails will cure your toenail fungus. And she says she puts it on her fingernails to stop them from breaking. You, you think it, it makes your nails stronger? Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is just insane to me. Grandma used to put it in your hair? Yes. Yes, before you get your before you uh, shampoo your hair. Vix vapor rub as hair conditioner. So I asked her, is this why the shower smelled like Vix? And she said, Oh no, I'm sure I'd stop using Vix's hair conditioner by then. It was probably because I was using it as hand and foot cream. So the story of how my grandma ended up using Vicks literally from head to toe turns out to be a story about Cuba, or at least that's what she hinted at in our conversation. What's your earliest memory of Vicks? Oh, my gosh. I think I grew up with that when I was very little. She said she grew up with it when she was very little, which was surprising to me because grandma doesn't talk much about her past, about her childhood or life in Cuba. She was 30 when she and her family left in 1967. And I feel like Cuba, for her, it's like when we're watching TV together. She'll always pick Everybody Loves Raymond over any HBO drama I want to watch. I, she goes, why are we going to choose to watch ugly things? Life has enough ugly things already. I'm pretty sure for her, Cuba is one of those ugly things. Do you think, I mean, I wonder, like, when the embargo started... Did you still get Vicks? She's like, well, sometimes it was there and sometimes it wasn't. If it was there, I used it. So I asked her, there was a time when there wasn't Vicks? And she says, that's right, but then it came back. I don't remember very well, after the Bay of Pigs. I know that may not sound like much, but I'm almost positive that that was the first time my grandma ever said the words, Bay of Pigs out loud to me. That's when the U.S. tried to invade Cuba in 1961. 
She was still living there at that point. And we've never talked about that or the revolution or her childhood. Nothing. In college, I became obsessed with Cuba. I did my thesis on Cuban bloggers. And last year, I went to Cuba for the first time. I haven't really talked to Grandma about any of this. And it's kind of weird. Because I think of us as close. But I guess I don't know much about her as the person, pre-Grandma. The whole thing is making me kind of nervous. All four of my grandparents fled Cuba, and Grandma is the last one still living. I've never known how to start the Cuba conversation. If Vic's vapor rub is a foot in the door, it's better than nothing. So I asked her if she'd be willing to sit down in person and talk more about this Vic stuff, and maybe Vic's in Cuba. I don't know. We should do that when I'm when we're together again. Okay, maybe another day. <laughs> okay. Grandma was scheduled to come visit me in New York in a few months, and she promised she'd sit down with me and tell me the rest of the story. Up next, it turns out lots of people are using VIX in creative ways. We go across the country and through time searching for answers and may have actually found some. Hey everyone, it's Mary. If you're in New York City or if you're going to be on March 13th, I would love to see you in person. I'm hosting this event at the New York Public Library on West 53rd Street. I'm talking to Danielle Ofrey, who's been a guest of this show, about her new book, What Patients Say, What Doctors Hear. Danielle's a great writer. You might have read some of her work in the New York Times. But more than that, she is just about the most honest doctor I have ever met. This book is filled with her confessions about times she got things wrong and ideas for how all of us can do better when we're in the exam room. The event is free, but you've got to register. All the information is right at the top of my Twitter page. That's at Mary's desk. See you there. This is Kenny again. And Julia. And since my grandma and I spoke, we've learned that grandma is by no means the only one using VIX in unusual ways. So, for, for example, one of the first things that comes up when you Google VIX VapoRub is this. I printed it out. 12 surprising uses for VIX VapoRub. To keep mosquitoes away, to speed up healing and disinfect paper cuts, to make a tick release its jaws from your flesh, and, as Julia's grandmother suggested, to help heal toenail fungus. Thank you for calling VIX. Apparently, this is so widespread, the VIX customer service line has an option just to tell you not to do this. Wondering if VapoRub can be used on toenail fungus? Press 4. We do not recommend using VapoRub for the treatment. So we know the reason that Julia's grandma uses VIX for all kinds of things has something to do with Cuba. That's the story that Julia was still waiting to sit down and talk to her about. But in the meantime, we thought maybe we could try and figure out why other people seem to think VIX can cure everything. We made a bunch of phone calls, emailed a bunch of scholars, and came up mostly empty-handed. One expert suggested that this might even make a great PhD thesis someday. So we decided to head to the source, the birthplace of VIX, Greensboro, North Carolina. I learned there are some old archives there, and I think we got about as close to an answer as we could have hoped for. Um, this is our manuscript collection. 
relaying okay. to the company. Thank you. So to set the scene for you, I'm in an appointment-only room in the back of the Greensboro History Museum. It's got white walls, fluorescent lights, it's freezing. And an archivist named Elise has dropped two giant boxes on a long wooden conference table. What all is in it? Uh, this collection is a mix of family and company materials. And Sitting across from me are two members of the Vicks family. Britt Pryor is the great-grandson of the inventor. That's pretty funny. I have never seen that. And Alice is his wife. Yeah, it seems like I have seen that. So it's like a collection of company graphs and pie charts and, and stuff? No, it's like coupons and advertising pamphlets. There are even family photos and family letters. My dear mama, today a very bad thing happened in school. A boy got his leg broke. And that is old. And what, what else was in that box? Oh, a lot of things there. Here's just a, a quick history of Vicks. Vaporub was invented in the 1890s by a pharmacist named Lunsford Richardson. The story goes that he made it to treat his son, a baby who had croup cough, and it worked well enough that he started selling the stuff. Lore has it that Lunsford Richardson didn't think his name would fit on the side of the jar, and so he put his brother-in-law's name, Dr. Vic. Now, the product really took off in 1918 when the Spanish flu broke out, but ironically, the Vic's inventor died during that same outbreak. Now, as far as we can tell, the original purpose of Vicks was to treat cold and cough. However, in those boxes of stuff, I found a couple of documents from about a decade after the Spanish flu epidemic. And they seem to show a pretty surprising change in the company. So what is this? Summer schedules, like for the summer advertising. We found what looked like a series of advertisements that the company wanted to run in the summer. They told people to use Vicks for some unusual things. Bee stings, bug bites. Yeah, I mean, burns, sore throats, hay fever. And then there was a letter attached. Oh, my God. So, wait, it says, um, Since our product is generally known and used for cold troubles, our sales rapidly declined during the warm summer season. Does this, did you read that? The implication was that sales were dropping, and the solution was to say, you can use Vicks on a whole lot more than just your coughing baby. During that decade, the on-label uses for Vicks Vapor Rub exploded. Poison oak, poison ivy, stains with it. For animals, pleurisy in horses, colds or roop in fowl, distemper in dogs, snuffles in rabbits. <laughs> that big list of uses Vicks was pushing back then included using Vicks Vapor Rub for scratches, mosquitoes, poison ivy. It reads almost exactly like a modern list of 12 surprising uses for Vicks Vapor Rub. Now, we can't draw a direct connection between today and that moment. But at the same time, if the question is, why are people using Vicks for all kinds of crazy things? It may well be because decades ago, Vicks was telling people to use Vicks for all kinds of crazy things. So this would have been the late 1920s, 1930s. Vicks wouldn't have been the only over-the-counter medicine making these kinds of claims. But over time, the company grew up, maybe because the FDA also grew up. And by the 1960s, it was back to basics. Poor baby, all stuffed up with a miserable cold. Basics and some pretty amazing advertisements. What should you do? Put her to bed. Put her to bed. Stop. Never go to bed with a cold without Vicks VapoRub. In 1985, just about 90 years after Lunsford Richardson whipped up his first batch of Vaporub, the company was purchased by Procter & Gamble for a reported $1.2 billion. 
We asked P&G how many jars of Vaporub they're selling these days. They didn't give us a specific answer, but according to a trade publication called the Drugstore News, P&G sold more than 9 million units of Vicks Vaporub in 2015. And that's just in the United States, one of more than 60 countries where you can now buy Vicks Vaporub. Before sitting down with Grandma, there was something she'd mentioned in our first conversation that I needed to understand. She seemed to imply that there was some connection between Vicks Vaporub and the Bay of Pigs invasion. The assault has begun on the dictatorship of Fidel Castro. Just a little refresher. In 1961, the United States tried to overthrow Fidel Castro. This was about two years after he'd taken power. The U.S. trained a small militia of Cuban exiles to invade their former country and oust Castro. And the rebellion against the Red Tins dictator was on. The The invasion failed spectacularly, and Castro captured around 1,100 people. Have you heard much from your husband since he's been in prison? I'm too much nervous. They stayed in Cuba's prisons for almost two years. And just before Christmas in 1962, the U.S. and Cuba finalized a deal to free the majority of the prisoners. What do you think about the release of all your companions? Well, I think this is a wonderful thing. Uh, we have the reason this is important to our story is that the U.S. paid an unusual ransom for the hostages. It wasn't cash. The prisoners were exchanged for about $50 million in food and medical supplies. Everything from Listerine to aspirin to surgical equipment. And as best we can tell... In that ransom was a whole lot of Vicks Vaporub. Uh, you could sit there. Are we talking about Vic? Vicisito? Yes, we're talking about Vicisito. So it's two months later, Grandma's in New York, and we're sitting down in a studio at WMYC. <laughs> no, I think okay. I got nervous. <laughs> you shouldn't be nervous. This is like where, I know it's weird, but it's like we're sitting at home, whatever. We just never do this. I've always thought of Grandma as this fearless matriarch who started a new life in a new country as a young woman. It's so strange to see her nervous like this. And do you remember, what's like your first memory of Vicks? Oh, when I was very young and then I got caught. My mother, she used to put Vic and and then you have to be in your room. And do you remember what your room looked like? My bedroom set was pink with flower painted and uh, and I have my pink uh, cover, you know, for my bed. I have a good life when I was young. Grandma grew up near one of the most beautiful beach towns in Cuba called Varadero. She and my grandpa met on the beach. He was a friend of her big brothers. I have this black and white picture hanging in my room of the two of them sitting on the sand. Grandma's got one of those 50s halter bathing suits with little buttons down the middle. Abuelo's got his hair slicked back. They're both smiling this stylish, effortless smile. She was 21 years old when the revolution came. Oh, I mean, that was unbelievable what happened there. Let me tell you, unbelievable. But that is another point. Of, <laughs> well, what do you mean? Like, it's another point because with the revolutions and all that, you know, then in Cuba, that was really hard. It was a very hard time. What do you mean? Like, what do you remember when you say it was a hard time? It's really scary. Right away, everything disappeared. You go to the groceries and it was nothing. It was a very, very hard time. And then when when all those medical supplies came in, 
Oh my God, people get crazy. You have to see the lines on the on the pharmacy to people get. Was that when you started using Vicks in different ways, like for conditioner and stuff like that? Or yes, you know, because I remember when Castor took power in Cuba that you can't find any hands cream or anything. Then I find out that when I use it for my kids, and I put it in my hand, oh my skin, you know, my hands look soft. And I said, oh, this is good for the skin too. And then what else? After that, like, how did you get to, like, put it on? And then, you know, I remember when I was in Cuba, the soap there was very hard, and then the water wasn't good, and then my nails started to break a lot, and, you know, I said, oh, gosh, and, uh, my hands are big and not, not pretty, but I like to have my my nails to look nice. <laughs> then I started to use that, and my nails said, oh, my God, my nails look much better. Well, Grandma, I don't think your hands are ugly. Like, I actually think about your hands as, like, I want to have beautiful hands like Grandma. I always think that, <laughs> for real. I don't know. I compare my hands with my friends. I said, oh, my God, my hands are so big. <laughs> I do that same thing, actually. And then you said you did you use it for fungus? Was that the, well, when was yeah, the I first fungus, time? And, yeah, I have fungus, and then I noticed that they start to get Better, yeah. So it was, but it was on your toes, right? Like, how did you get from the point of like, well, hands- it's good for your hands, it has to be good for your feet too. So I thought to use <laughs> it. was like the worst period of your life when you were using Vicks in all these crazy ways. If that were me, like, it would bring back horrible memories, and I might, like, never want to see it again, right? Yeah, right. But you embrace it now. You, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, because that always made me feel good <laughs> when I was sick. I mean, like I said, it was working for me. So even in my hard times, I have, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So... Hold on, I can't be crying in this part. <laughs> Take me. <laughs> Smell me. When I get one whiff of Vicks, I am transported back to my room at Grandma's house. I see my pink and teal bedspread. I hear Grandma opening the door to say good morning and sing me Las Mañanitas loudly and off-tune. I laugh and throw pillows at her. She throws them right back at me. Vix takes me to my origins, a place of comfort and silliness and joy. I never thought about where Vicky must transport grandma. I always figured her obsession with an American product must be another way she'd assimilated and left her past behind. All this time, the stuff has been bringing her back to her own beginnings, to her own pink room, the place where she learned what comfort is. When I was going back and listening to the tape, I found this one wonderful moment. It happened when I had to step out of the studio for a second, and I left Grandma by herself. Hold on one second. Let me just, I'll be right back. While I stepped out, Grandma picked up a little container of Vicks I had in the studio. She unscrewed the lid and just enjoyed the smell for a while. Oh, I love this. It's hard to hear, but Grandma just said, I love this. Oh, I love this.
Only Human is a production of WNYC Studios. This episode was edited by Ben Adair. Our team includes Amanda Aronchik, Mary Harris, Elaine Chen, Julia Longoria, Jillian Weinberger, and Christopher Johnson. Our technical director is Casey Means. Tony Phillips is WNYC's vice president of on-demand content. Special thanks this week to Jim Rassenberger, Ashley Kaufman, and the Greensboro History Museum. Some of the archival audio you heard in this episode comes from the Lynn and Lewis Wolfson II Florida Moving Images Archive, and a very, very special thanks this week to Julia's grandmother, who brought us some of the most delicious pan con lechon you could ever imagine. I'm Kenny Malone, and we'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. Support for WNYC's health coverage and Only Human is provided by the Torina Endowment Fund, Jane and Gerald Catcher, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Simons Foundation, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, and the Winston Foundation. Um, so two little elves named Blix and Blee lived in the shade of the jub-jub tree in a little glass house as round as pie, as clean as a whistle and blue as the sky, for they made their home by the old (laughs) jub-jub in an empty jar of Vicks Vaporub. (laughs) 